Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series, Joy in the Dark. We've been thinking the last few weeks about what Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 1. As he reflects on things that would seem to draw one away from joy, not pull one towards joy. Things like being imprisoned and, and having rival teachers take advantage of that imprisonment to try to bring glory to themselves rather than to, to Jesus. And and Paul has to wrestle through these adversities that he's facing, and yet, what does he say? He keeps coming back to the fact that he rejoices. And tonight he's going to go even a step further as he faces the uncertainty of his future. He doesn't know how long he'll be imprisoned. He doesn't know if he'll be imprisoned until he's executed. He doesn't know. And yet what does he do? He turns to the God whom he does know and finds joy. And that's what we're called to do, too. So let's ask our God to reveal more of himself to us in his word tonight, that whatever uncertainties, whatever adversities we face, we can know that our God is there with us. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for this evening, and thank you for your word. Lord, would you help us to be encouraged by it tonight, that we would see more of your heart in it, that we would know who you are because we know we might have confidence, just as Paul does in this passage. Lord, would you apply the truth of your word to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we dig into this subject tonight and we think about the adversities we face, maybe you'd like to go ahead and share this video. It certainly could be an encouragement to someone else, and you can help get more people watching and participating and digging into God's word by doing so, and that would be wonderful. Lots of things get shared online, not just videos, though. Mysterious symbols have been being shared online over the last few weeks, and maybe you've seen some of them. Maybe you've been posting some of them, people posting these symbols back and forth at each other on a daily basis, even. Well, if, if you've been paying attention to social media at all, you know what I'm talking about. You know it is none other than Wordle, and for those of you who haven't gotten into the Wordle trend yet, and I didn't for a while, but probably, I think it was about two weeks ago I started playing, uh, these symbols that you see on screen symbolize your attempts to guess a five-letter word, and, and you, you change the tiles to try to be a particular word, and if you get a letter that's used in that word, it turns yellow, and if you put the letter in the right place, it turns green, and so you, you accumulate a better and better sense of what the word is, over a series of, of guesses. You get up to six. And the first few times I was filled with confidence because I played the very first Wordle game I ever played and I got it in three tries. I, I did that and thought, oh boy, this is pretty good. And then I did it again the next day, three tries again. Next day was four tries, but I, I really had confidence. I'm going to get each and every one of these Wordles and it's just a question, am I going to get it in more tries or fewer tries. I, either way, you know, I'm going to, to conquer this wordle. And then it got a little harder. I had one the other day. Here I am on try number five. And, and I, I didn't have very much confidence at, at that point. When I had only one guess left and I still hadn't got it, I started to think, well, maybe I'm just not going to get this wordle at all. I'm just going to fail. And that would have bothered me way more than it should have. Now, Thankfully, I did barely make it, but truly barely. Last guess, I happened to turn all the tiles green, and it was so good to see those tiles turn green. 
but I didn't have confidence in the circumstance. I was unsure what, what was going to happen. Maybe you have a story about your attempts at Wordle you'd like to share in the comments. I, I think most of us now have encountered it and probably had those times where our confidence felt shaken. Well, Paul has every reason in Philippians chapter 1 to have his confidence shaken. He's imprisoned. As I mentioned, he has rival preachers we, we talked about that he, he says are preaching the gospel, using it as an attempt to go after Paul and to, to make people turn away from Paul. The gospel of all things. I mean, Paul has reasons to feel discouraged. And now he's going to talk about the fact that he might die before he gets out of prison. He doesn't know. He may very well. And yet he doesn't lose the confidence that he has in Jesus. In fact, he, if anything, is boistered by his reflection on who Jesus is. And that's what we see starting in verse 19, if you'd like to turn to Philippians chapter 1 with me. He says, For I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is confident. He, he reflects on who Jesus is. He reflects on the promises that God has, has given him. And, and he says, I have confidence in the circumstance I'm in. I, I, I may not know how it's going to turn out. But I'm confident that the God that I'm writing you about, the God that Paul knew from the scriptures as well, but the God whom he had been serving for all these years now says, I'm confident that he's there and I do not need to be ashamed whether in life or in death. I'm confident, confident in God's promises. And in the way he phrases that, he says he's confident in this deliverance he's going to receive. He says that in verse 19, that this will turn out for my deliverance. And as he says that, he is using a phrase that's very unusual in the scriptures. It only shows up here in this particular phrasing in the entire New Testament. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the one that Paul would have been using probably for most of his studies, he would have known that this exact phrase, it's not a coincidence, it's surely him referencing it, was used by none other than Job in his own trials and tribulations. And we see that if we turn to Job chapter 13. Job, as he answers his friends who have been beating him down, and Job, of, of course, is suffering horrible adversity, says this. This will be my salvation. That's that same phrase that's translated deliverance in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1. This will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. What does Job say? Job says, I belong to God. I follow the God of the universe, and, and I know that as one who follows him. I don't understand what's going on in this circumstance. I don't know why he's allowing it to happen, but I know this, that, that my God hears me, that I can come before him, that there's a difference between those who reject the Lord and those who follow him. That's that they have access to him. And, and so, so Job doesn't know how things are going to turn out, just like Paul doesn't know how things are going to turn out, not in the particulars. But Job has confidence that he's going to be, he's going to receive salvation or deliverance because his God's going to hear him. That's why he goes on in verse 18 of Job 13. He says, Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Job knows that he's going to go before God, and as he presents his case, that God's going to be a fair judge. 
So as he presents his case that, that God will hear it and that things are going to turn out. And that's what Paul is referring to here as well as he, he makes that reference back to Job. Paul doesn't know exactly the details of how things are going to turn out. He, he makes that clear. He says, I might live, I might die. He doesn't know. But what does he know? He knows that his God is with him. And he knows two separate ways that he identifies in verse 19 that he's going to experience the confidence that God gives him. And the first one is through prayer. Notice what he says here at the beginning of verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers... So he's talking to these Philippian believers, these, these other members of the body of Christ who are his friends, whom he's ministered to over the years. And he says, through your prayers, I know what's coming. And this is a wonderful reminder of something that not only the Apostle Paul needed, but each and every one of us needs, which is the human aspect of being in relationship to Jesus. He doesn't just call us to follow him as, as sleeper cells hidden in the world with all the enemies around us all alone, waiting for the day that we get the call that he's returning. No, he gathers us together as a visible people of God, and, and that's the calling of Little Hills Church and every other church that proclaims the gospel faithfully. It's a, a call to be the gathered people of God who, who worship him, who glorify him, and who encourage each other in that process of following him. Paul here is going to receive strength from his friends, from, from those fellow believers who are seeking to glorify God. He knows that they're praying for him, that, that though they may be far away and he may be in prison, that they're with him, that they care about him. And it's such a wonderful reminder, as Paul says how important this is in, in his own experience here, how important it is that we experience that as well. We aren't meant to go it alone. We aren't meant to be just individual Christians. We're meant to be in fellowship with one another because when we are, we can pick each other up. When we're feeling discouraged, we can encourage. And then when we're encouraged, we can pick someone else up, someone else who's discouraged. When we struggle to, to see the promises of God and they feel so dim and, and unreachable, we can remind each other of them. And we can remind each other of God's past faithfulness. And this is all wrapped up in here Paul is receiving this rejoicing that he talks about in verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. That's how he leads into this section. Yes, and I will rejoice because he looks around at, at those fellow believers and he's reminded by their faithfulness and their prayers of something else even more important, which is God himself and God's presence and faithfulness to Paul. Paul ultimately is going to be delivered in whatever form that takes by God if we put all of our confidence in, in our fellow believers, we're going to be sorely disappointed. I, I'd love to say that Little Hills Church is always going to be for, there for every single person who walks through the door in the exact way they need in their moment of discouragement and trial. I hope that's the case. That would be my prayer. And yet I look at, at myself and I look at just the nature of every single human being. And at times we are going to fail because we're fallen human beings. We're, we're not going to get everything right. That's going to be true of any church you ever walk into. And yet we can receive that confidence from fellow believers because it's all tied to the God who is always there, who never fails us. We remind each other of what God's doing. As we do that, we turn to the only one who truly can deliver us and is always going to be there for us. And Paul can, can look to that God, the God whom he served, the God for 
whom he, in his service he is now imprisoned and look to him and say, I know that he's going to be a fair judge. Exactly like Job does. Job says, that judge is going to hear my case and I'm going to receive deliverance. And that's what Paul says here too. And so often, even if we kind of know that, we can fall into a trap on the one hand of wondering if God's going to be a fair judge. And that's why in his word, we see again and again his faithfulness to us. But the other challenge we can fall into, and I think this is something that we really slip into a lot today, is to be worrying about all the other quote-unquote judges around us, whether they actually have any authority over us or not. Uh, I, I was struck by this a few months ago. I, I posted what I thought was a, a, an innocent enough comment on social media, on, on Twitter, and, and all of a sudden I had someone I didn't know, no one I knew knew this person, just some random person on Twitter who had found my post and started arguing with me over it. And it was about some policy issue in government. It wasn't any big pressing thing. And yet I got really invested in this. I, I was going to convince him that I was right and he was wrong. He needed to see what the truth was. And I got more and more intricate arguments as we went back and forth on Twitter for a while until it finally occurred to me, why do I, why am I even bothering with this? He he's, doesn't have any authority over me. I'm not trying to convince the judge to deliver me. Yeah, I, I invest in what other people think of me. And we, we can fall into that trap. We start performing for other people and we want to impress them. We want them to like us. We want them to think we're doing a great job. We want these things. But what really matters is the one judge that scripture tells us we can have confidence in. Paul doesn't know if the earthly judges, even those vested, perhaps especially those vested with authority, the ones that were actually going to decide his life or death, were going to rule fairly for him. But he did look to the God of the universe, the one who's the ultimate judge, and he knew that he could trust in God's ruling, and they would be good. That, that he didn't need to tremble as he waited to come before his God. And we need to ask ourselves that question. Do I live in the reality that there's one judge who matters? That all the other judges, whether they have genuine vested authority or they're just people that have opinions and we're worried about their opinions, am I investing in all those judges or am I worried about the one judge who matters? And what he tells me, he does. And what he tells me, he thinks of me. Am I, as Sinclair Ferguson put it, am I operating in front of an audience of one, in front of God and God alone, or am I worried about the million different audiences and judges that can often shake my confidence in that one judge? Because as I'm seeking to follow Jesus, and yet things go wrong, and, and you hear all these other voices, and they, they call into question the things that we're doing, and, and whether they're worthy, and whether they're good, and then we start to wonder whether God is good, or whether God if he is good, we could ever call us his own because maybe he'll judge us and cast us out. But what does Paul know? He knows that the God whom he serves is a God who offers forgiveness. He's a, a God who, as Jason said last night, as we were discussing the Psalms together on this week at Little Hills, he makes us the people who live out the things he calls us to do. And Paul here is being made the person who can live this out. He isn't operating on his own strength here. He's operating on, on yes, the encouragement of fellow believers. And ultimately, all that's being bound together by the Holy Spirit, who is giving him the ability to do what God's calling him to do in the moment. And he, he looks to 
whom it is that he serves and, and the promises that God gives him. And he, he doesn't know what's going to happen, not in the moment. But he knows ultimately that his God is good. And just as Job could take his case before the Lord, he knows that he can too. And, and you and I can know that too, that anyone who calls out to Jesus, anyone who repents and believes the good news, we're told is saved. And then we can go with confidence too. And I, I hope you've done that. I hope that you follow Jesus. And if you haven't, that even this very night that you would, because then we can have that confidence. And that confidence isn't just then about the ultimate circumstances, the judge of heaven going to favor us or not, but that then flows back into our current circumstances. And, and Paul can face this very uncertain circumstance with confidence because of the judge whom he knows is the ultimate judge. And we see that in, in more detail starting in verse 21. He says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't I don't know in the circumstance if I'm going to be released from prison and, and get to come back and see you, or if I'm going to die, maybe executed. I, I don't know. But I'm fine with whatever circumstance comes ahead because I'm confident in what Jesus is doing. And as he looks to this judge that he has this confidence in that he's been talking about, then he can look at even the potential for further suffering and say, if it involves more suffering, fine, I'm, I'm okay with that. Not because Paul wanted to suffer, but rather because he was starting to view it from a God's eye view and seeing the potential for glory being brought to God and more people being encouraged and more people experiencing the rejoicing that he was experiencing by going through suffering. And on the other hand, he, he, couldn't, he wouldn't have that enthusiasm dampened by the fear that he might die because he understood what death was going to mean for him. Your Bible probably translates that word depart, departing life, and and yet, it really probably should be translated disembark. It's like a ship setting off and 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 sailing to where it was ultimately meant to be. And that's how Paul reflects on this. He he says, if I remain here, I can keep serving Jesus, and that's a great thing. But if I die, I actually go and I'm going to be in Jesus's presence. And as he's made clear, he knows, and all of us can know as we trust in Jesus. That arriving into the presence of Jesus isn't something where we, we have to tremble and think, I wonder if he's going to like me or not. He's going to say, well, you know, I was going to let you in four or five years ago, but I don't know. Your record's kind of spotty. I, I, I don't think I want you. We don't have to worry about that because our, our status before him is in him. And that's where Paul is coming from here. He has that security that he knows that he belongs to Jesus. And so therefore he can come and trust that his deliverance will be received by him. He's secure in that. And nothing tests that, that part 
of our experience more than death itself. I love what Marianne Getty says, reflecting on this. She says, the moment of death is the ultimate test of faith. As Paul confronts the possibility that he's about to die, he has to ask himself, is God going to come through? Now, he, he could have been thinking, well, maybe I can make a plea bargain and I can renounce the faith and then I'll get to live some more and maybe work out something else better. He, he, he could have been thinking, well, I guess, um, well, it was nice while it lasted and, and this is it. But he doesn't. He says, if death comes, I'm going to be in Jesus's presence and that's going to be the most amazing thing possible. And that's that test that each of us should should wrestle with. We, we need to take that faith that we have that hope that we have sitting on a, in a little box on a shelf and, and take it off and not just open the box every once in a while and look in and, and feel a little hope. But when we're faced with death, it's all stripped away. And the question is, is that faith actually our reality? Is, is that hope ultimately what is our reality? And for Paul, as he reflects on the confidence he has in that judge, it's his reality. And so he can face either life or death with a commitment that's shaped by God's will and not his own, because he says, I know God's in this, and ultimately, I'm not going to be ashamed. It might go badly right now. People might mock me right now. I might die right now. But ultimately, in the view of the only one who matters, I'm not going to be ashamed. He's going to call me into his presence and and love me, as he's always promised to, as he always has. What does it look like to live with that confidence? It looks like being enabled to go and do the things we need to do. A few weeks ago, a story went viral about John Burley and his dog, Boomer. John apparently has had a a number of years of serious health conditions, and it, it took a turn for the worse around Thanksgiving, and he found himself in the hospital with no family in the area, no one who could take care of his beloved dog, Boomer, basically his great joy in life, this little 13-year-old dog. And so as he went in the hospital, he had to actually give up his dog and and hand Boomer over to the pound. And he was heartbroken. But he'd been having these health issues for a while, and he'd gotten to know one of the nurses who was attending to him over time. And so he asked Jennifer Smith if, if she would go and rescue Boomer, and she did. She went to the pound, found Boomer, and brought Boomer into her own home, bought him new doggy beds and doggy clothes and doggy treats and and then ultimately brought Boomer back to see John. Right before Christmas, he was surprised. Some, a worker in, in the facility came and asked him if he'd like to see a surprise visitor. And that surprise visitor turned out to be Jennifer with his beloved dog, Boomer. And ever since, she takes Boomer in to see him every day, and he gets to see Boomer. And then Boomer goes back into that safety and security of this house that's adopted him, who's taking care of him. And Jennifer and her kids all have taken to this little dog. And so that makes a huge difference for John because he's had to go not only into the hospital, but now into rehab as often happens. And, And surely it would have been on his mind, should I keep doing this rehab or should I try to rush home so I can keep my dog Boomer? But in the story, we see that he knows that he can do whatever is before him if he needs to do more rehab or he's ready to go home because he knows that Jennifer's taking care of Boomer And so he can have confidence in what's going to happen in the future. And so it allows him to say, whatever needs to be done, he can do it. And that's how it is for us in life. We're we're told we can have confidence. If, If God allows us a few more years or many more years in life, we can have confidence that 
the end is still secure, that it's not going to fall apart, that Paul doesn't have to say, I sure hope I die before something happens that keeps me from Jesus, and that you don't either. But on the other hand, if, if, and I hope this isn't the situation for you at the moment, but if you actually are confronting death itself, you don't have to confront it as this moment before you come before a judge who might discard you and throw you away. But rather, the moment that you come before the one who is going to judge you and look at the Savior's righteousness and call you his own. The, the truth that Job knew and the truth that Paul knew. And if we have that kind of confidence in, in what is ahead and how it's going to all play out, then we can go and analyze the situations of life in a different grid than we normally do. This question is so important for us to ask. Is the appeal of the things in life glorifying to God? When I, when I look at what I'd like to do, what I want to do, what I think I should do, is the thing that makes it appealing or not appealing that is glorifying to God. And, and for Paul, that is exactly what it is. When he's talking here and he says he, he desires to be with Christ, and yet he also wrestles with this, this yearning that, that God's placed on his heart to serve his people. He has this desire to serve, to do whatever will bring God the most glory and allow the most people to know about our God and the most people to rejoice in our God. And, and since he has confidence in how it's all going to work out, he can have that freedom to say, God, whatever it is that's going to bring the most glory to you, it's what I want. If it involves being here longer, maybe being imprisoned longer and suffering more, so be it, because I have confidence in what's happening. If it means dying that very day, so be it, because he has confidence in what's happening. Paul knew that Jesus is the one who wins, the victorious king. And that victorious king is our victorious king too. So, so we can be confident in the same things. That is, as we turn and help each other as the body of Christ to, to have confidence that these promises are actually going to happen. This week, it allegedly is going to be bring a lot of snow in. And I love snowstorms. I love getting snowed in. I love the way it looks outside when there's lots of beautiful snow on the ground, and how pure and white and wonderful it is. But I don't always have confidence it's actually going to happen. When, when the weather forecast says there's going to be snow, and now they're saying that there's going to be a fairly nice amount of snow, I still think, eh, you know, probably I'm just going to wake up and it's not going to be there. I don't have confidence in it. And I'm certainly not going to plan how I do things on the basis that it is going to happen, that there's definitely going to be snow. I'm going to be holding it kind of contingent. But we don't have to do that with God. Paul here doesn't have to do that with God where he's thinking, well, well, maybe I should plan. What if God doesn't come through? He says, no, I know that God's going to come through. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know how it's going to apply. Not in the, the minutia of everyday life. But I know how it's going to end. And that's what you can have and what I can have as we trust in Jesus. As you face whatever decisions and challenges and disappointments and even joys that you face right now, you can look at it and say, what can I do with this that's glorifying to God? Because you know ultimately that judge is going to be there for you. And I can do the same. Let's pray tonight that God would guide us, that we can bring him glory, that we can have that confidence that he offers to us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, so often it, it's hard to be confident. There's so many things that, that shake our confidence, so many tumultuous moments in life, uncertainties, plans that fall apart, hopes and dreams and, and, and illnesses. And just, Lord, it, all these things shake us. 
the people that we allow to judge us, all these things. And, and we, we feel shaken. We, we wonder, what are you ultimately going to do with us? Yet your word is clear on that, that for all of us who call on your name, who are followers of Jesus, that, that we can have confidence in what you're going to do. And so, Lord, our prayer is that you would guide us, that your Holy Spirit would g- remind us of that confidence, that you'd use your body at, at Little Hills and the, at all the other churches that you've established to encourage each other, that, that we might build each other up, that we might proceed in, in every aspect of life with confidence. Confidence in you and your goodness and your presence with us and the hope we ultimately have when we come into your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next week we're going to conclude Philippians chapter 1 as Paul wraps up thinking about how do we live a life worthy of Jesus? How do we take that that desire to glorify God in whatever we do, and how do we live that in the midst of suffering? And it's so helpful, I think, to to wrestle with that because we might be in a peaceful moment at the moment, but we know that there will be challenges ahead. Or we might be right in the midst of tumult and we're trying to figure out how to deal with it in that moment. And Paul encourages the Philippians to be wrestling with that as well. And that's where we'll look next week. So I hope you'll come back on Monday at 7 p.m. and join me for that. But before we get to next week, we have something so exciting happening this week. And that's the next Faith Tree Online Community Prayer Walk. That's going to be running from 8 a.m., all the way through the day on Thursday. It's a a loop of video devotionals and prayer prompts and the opportunity to go on to chat and and have someone pray for you or to pray for someone else. All that looping all day long. So whether you have just a few moments to sign on and and just see a little bit of it, you want to tune in throughout the day and see different parts, you want to watch it straight through and, and be encouraged by the entire loop, whatever you'd like to do, you can come and be a part of that. And if you've been a part of it, I, I know you already know what a blessing these times are. And if you haven't, I really hope that you'll come and join us on Thursday for that. Also, we're, we're right in the midst of our, our Bible reading plan we've been going through that we started at the beginning of the year, reading through the Psalms. Last night, Jason and Melanie and Jim and I looked at the next three Psalms, which are Psalms 13, 14, and 15. And if you go to grow.faithtree.com throughout this week, we will be discussing those Psalms in further detail in the comments. We've been having a really active discussion the first few weeks. And so please stop over there, click on the page for this week's devotional and and share your thoughts. What is it that's speaking to you? If you start Psalm 13 today, read Psalm 14 by Wednesday, read Psalm 15 by Friday. We'll be doing that alongside you and we'll all encourage each other in thinking about our God and how he is with us throughout life. Well, I do hope you'll do that. If there's any way I can be praying for you, if you have any comments or questions, you can feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. You can also just leave a comment or prayer request in the comments below and we can pray for each other and encourage each other. That's always wonderful too. I I can't wait to see you next week. I can't wait to see you at these other events as well. And I hope you have a blessed week in the meantime.